Welcome to the Karis Christian Center podcast. But uh, I'm going to be sharing on the divine imagination. Uh, my dad really loved this topic. He said uh, he hasn't really heard many people preach on this. Um, he actually was so inspired by it, we actually shared it together on our television program. Our church has a television program called Grace for Today that reaches all around the country, all around the world, really. And we get calls all the time for people um, calling to receive prayer, to receive Jesus, receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. So there's ministry happening here at this church 24-7. There are people, um, the word's going out in a big way. And um, uh, I'm, I'm uh, glad my dad can go um, connect with one of our um, sister churches. We have quite a few churches that, that are really connected to us at a heart level and um, look, look up to my dad as a mentor, almost as an apostle in the faith. So I'm glad he can spend time there with my mother-in-law, Pastor Deborah. She, she's awesome. I love her. She is uh, full of faith, full of the grace of God. And um, um, I'm, I'm really thankful that she, um, you know, raised Heather. And uh, I'm, I'm super thankful for Heather. Heather is, uh, she's more than I could have asked for, thanked for, hoped for, even imagined. So um, I'm going to be talking about the divine imagination. This is kind of funny, but um, while Heather and I were dating, um, she, I think it was actually after we were engaged, but she found one of my old journals from like 15 years ago, maybe when I was an undergrad in college, where I listed out everything I wanted in a future wife. And um, she laughed because she wasn't many of those things. <laughs> and, um, you know, God, God can actually do more than what you ask, think, or imagine. He actually knows you better than you know yourself. So I think God has a lot of surprise blessings in store for each and every one of you. And um, just be open to, to what he does in your life because he knows you better than you know yourself. He actually knows every the number of hair on your head, you know, it's kind of hard to count for me. Some of you, it's a little easier to count. I see a couple of shiny heads out there. It's a little easier to count. But God knows the number of hairs on you. He knows every, every detail of your heart, every detail of your future. He knows what you need more than you know yourself. And uh, we need to really open our hearts to him, open our souls to him. I'm going to be sharing on, a, um, on the area of the soul today. You know, God really cares about our soul. We're created in his image I believe that we're created in his image with a spirit, with an eternal spirit. But we also have a soul. We have a mind, will, emotions. You know, Jesus had a soul. He had emotions. He'd get angry at church and go throw tables over and whip people. And uh, I've experienced those emotions before. And you know, he'd have compassion towards people, pray for people, see them. You know, I've had that, those emotions. Like, he has a soul. And I believe God has an imagination as well. So I want to talk about the divine imagination. But go ahead and turn your Bibles to 1 Thessalonians 5, 23 and 24. And this is where we really see the spirit, soul, and body laid out very clearly in Scripture, that we are a three-part being. I find it fascinating that we are a three-part being. We are a triune being. God is a three-part being. He, he's the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. We're also a three-part being. You have an eternal spirit. You possess a soul. You live in a body. 1 Thessalonians 5, 23 and 24, it says, Now may the God of peace, say the God of peace. peace. And Jesus is the Prince of Peace. Our God is a God of peace. That word peace in the Greek, irene, it means to rest, peace, have wholeness, have prosperity, tranquility, exemption from the rage and havoc of war. I'm tired of the devil trying to rage havoc on people's souls, on people's emotions, on people's... You know, a few years ago, I saw a very famous pastor. He's writing a book on um, 
how to deal with depression, and he just did a, uh, a poll of his followers on Instagram. You know, he has hundreds of thousands of followers. He asked people who follow him, how many people, are you depressed, yes or no? And 80% of people said yes. Thousands of people responded to that. So that there's, there's a huge problem in the body of Christ in terms of their soul. So may he sanctify you, may he give you peace. Sanctify you completely, may your whole spirit, soul, and body. I love that God wants to redeem you spirit, soul, and body. So I'm going to be talking about, about the redemptive work in our soul today. You know, we know that God wants to heal our bodies, that he wants to give us eternal life. Our spirits go be with him for eternity. But God, God wants to sanctify your soul as well. The blood of Jesus sanctifies your soul. You know, I, I've been preaching through Hebrews on Wednesday night, and, and it says in Hebrews 9 that the blood of Jesus can actually purge your conscience. It can, it can cleanse, it can sanctify your conscience as part of your soul. So may you be complete, your, your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful, who will also do it. So you are a spirit. That is who you are at the core of who you are. You are an eternal being. Every single person on the face of the earth gets upset when someone close to them dies because there's something inside of you that knows that 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 we are created for eternity, and it bothers us when someone goes away. Even non-believers, sometimes with non-believers, when I start talking to them about eternity and about God, I'll start there. Like, if someone close to you were to die, would you be upset? And they think I'm a very rational person. I have a doctorate in physics, I have. But they would be upset, even though rationally, everything that you see on this earth has an expiration date. When I married my wife, she said, Aaron, I'm going through your fridge. Like, a lot of things are past the expiration date. This, <laughs> this you know, soy sauce expired five years ago. I don't know why. <laughs> She's very into expiration dates. Now, everything, even, even this earth, the sun, the, it all has an expiration date. But thank God this is not where I'm going to spend eternity. There is a part of every single person who has ever lived on the face of the earth that is eternal, that is indestructible, that that will live forever somewhere. And if you are indestructible, going to live for all eternity, I want to make sure I'm living in a good place. Amen. I want to live in heaven for all eternity. I want to live somewhere better than here. There is a better place than here. Heaven is so much better. So we are an eternal spirit. We possess a soul. Say, I possess a soul. My mom started preaching my message, but this is really interesting. You possess a soul. Your soul does not possess you. That's a problem with the world today, with how the world thinks, is that if you feel something, if you think something, that's who you are. Your soul, your, your mind, your will, your emotions, your desires, that possesses you. Your soul does not possess you. You are a spirit. You are created in God's image. You possess a soul. Your soul, yes, it's your mind, your will, your emotions, but it goes beyond that as well. It's your thought life. It's your attitude. If someone has a bad attitude, they, they, they need some sanctification in their soul. You know, salvation is actually past, present, and future in, inside the believer. You were saved. Your spirit was saved. You were given the spirit of Christ, but you are being saved in your soul. That's why you have to be transformed by the renewing. It's a present thing. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may pres- prove what is the good, the acceptable, and the perfect will of God. So salvation, it's past, it's present, it's also future. This body I'm going, to get a, a, I'm going to be redeemed in my body. My body is going to be better than this body. My wife um, cuts my hair and she tells me how many gray, gray hairs I have. 
You know, I'm going to have a glorified body that's just going to have red hair that shines like the blazing sun, <laughs> that pierces the night. When I was born, the, I, had, I had full red hair when I was born, and the doctor's like, man, this kid's got bright, he pierces the night. He, it's like the coming of Jesus. <laughs> Something special about this kid. But it's, it's already starting to dim and gray and... Anyways, we're, we're gonna, we're gonna, our, our salvation is future tense as well, right? Your body, there's salvation in the future tense for the believer as well. So you possess a soul, that, that includes your attitude, your overall outlook on life. Do you have a good outlook on life or are you just constantly jaded and pessimistic? Really, believers, you shouldn't have a pessimistic outlook on life. Your soul, it includes your hopes, your ambitions, your desires, even your plans. How many of you have plans? For what you're going to eat after church, you know, or what are you going to, what are you going to do on this nice sunny Colorado day? You, you, the, your planning, that, that's part of your soul. Your personality is part of your soul. And also your imagination is part of your soul. So you possess a soul, your soul should not possess you. And I believe that you can actually let God possess your soul. You can actually give your heart to him, give your desires to him, give him, say, God, I want... I want you to guide my heart. I want you to guide my desires, my dreams, and even my imagination. God can actually spark your imagination with his divine thoughts, with his divine creativity, with his divine imagination. So God, he cares about your soul. God cares about what you're feeling. He cares if you cry. He says he's near the brokenhearted. God cares tremendously about your soul. He cares about your thought life. And your soul, it is super important. It is tremendously important because this is where you are. This is where you dwell constantly. You can't escape your soul. It really is your, your home where you dwell. There's a lot of things you can escape. A lot of people are going on vacation right now. You know, Colorado is too cold, too rainy, too snowy for too long. We've got to escape to the beaches of Florida. You can escape your job, you know, take, take a day off. You can escape sometimes your, your wife and kids if you want to go out and garden, mow the lawn. You know, I think that's why women created golf so they could give their husbands a way of escape, but really it's for them to escape them. But there, there are certain things you can escape, but your soul you cannot escape. Your, your, the, this thought life, your desires, your emotions, you're there, and you don't want it to possess you. You don't want this constant war to be going on there. Um, I found this um, study several years ago. It's very interesting. It was done by the Cleveland Clinic, and it's on um, thought life. It's on uh, they, they studied a lot of people, and they determined that the average person thinks 60,000 thoughts per day. And now some of you might be less than that. Some of you might be more than that. But the average person thinks 60,000 thoughts per day. And this is really interesting. Of the 60,000 thoughts per day, the average person thinks 95% of those thoughts are the same thoughts. They're habitual thoughts. So that's, that's you know, 19 out of every 20 thoughts that you have for the average person, are habitual. And of those habitual thoughts, 80% of those thoughts are negative. It's like you get up and you say, oh, my shoulder's so achy again. Oh, my hair is so gray. Oh, oh, like, I have to go to work today. It's terrible. And 80% of what people are thinking is just like this programmed negativity. But we got to break that. I don't believe that's God's will for the believer. I think he wants to sanctify you, spirit, soul, and body. And the sanctified soul does not look like that. It's not constantly negative, just stuck in a rut. God has something better for you. We are not to be pessimistic. Our outlook on life should, should be 
redeemed, amen, it should be purged by the blood of Jesus. Uh, and I believe our imagination, our soul should, should be in the image of God. God has a soul. God has a beautiful imagination. Just go to the zoo and look at some of the things that God imagined. Look at a platypus. I don't even know. Who could have dreamed of that? You know, God, um, I, I actually believe his imagination is so, so vast, so incredible, so amazing that he, I, I think he actually imagined the entire universe before he created it. Um, so this, this is kind of my, my belief, but I believe that um, it says in Genesis 1, verse 1, that in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. You know, when someone creates something, they first dream about it. You don't create something usually by accident. You know, unless you're um, Bob Ross and you had an accident, it's now a happy tree. There's some accidents that God can turn around into something beautiful, but most, most of the time, you know, to, to create something where there's, where there's beauty, where there's order, things that work out, there, there, there is a, you dream about it first, you imagine it. I believe that God, when he created the heavens, the earth, when he created all the animals, when he created you and me, he, he imagined it first. And I, I have scripture to prove that as well, but I believe that before God spoke the universe into existence, that he imagined it. He and man, his imagination is so beautiful. I believe that he imagined every star in the, in the universe. You know, there are trillions of stars. I believe that God imagined every single star. I believe that he imagined every single solar system, every single planet, every single element, every single atom, every single animal, every detail of the crown of his creation, Mankind, I believe that he imagined every bone, every tissue, every organ, every, I believe that he imagined every single person that would be conceived on the face of the earth. Now, God actually spoke this to Jeremiah. This is kind of cool. In Jeremiah 1, verse 5, it said, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were even conceived and started developing in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I sanctified you. I ordained you a prophet to the nations. God actually imagined you, I believe, before he spoke this universe into creation. He imagined, he imagined every single one of you. He, and, and he knows every detail of your life, and he has always had a plan. Even the plan of Jesus um, coming for you. It's, it says in the Bible that, that Jesus was the lamb slain before the foundations of the world. I love that we sang that song, You Were the Word at the Beginning. Jesus was with God when he, create, when, when he was planning these things. When he spoke creation into existence. So you're not here by accident. God has an incredibly vast imagination. When I preached this series um, back in the fall, um, a lady here at the church, Kim Traup, um, I, she's actually uh, works for a, a ministry called Christian Friends of Israeli Communities. And I went with um, her to Israel several years ago. And got to tour Israel. But after I spoke this, and I, I, I was kind of talking about my idea that before God spoke the universe into existence, that he imagined it all. She said, there's actually a, a tradition amongst Jews that they believe the same thing. And they, Jews celebrate um, creation on Rosh Hashanah, their, their Jewish New Year. So the Jewish New Year is when they celebrate God um, speaking creation into existence. But, but she said Jewish tradition is that the day before that is, is a day where you wish things, where you dream things, where you imagine things. So it's just like God before he created things. Uh, so, so, that, so many Jews will take that day to dream things and to, to ask God for things. And she said it's, it's kind of like to correlate to our traditions. It's like making a wish on your birthday when you blow out the candle. 
That's a, that's a special moment where your wish comes true for, for Jews. The day before Rosh Hashanah, you're to dream something, imagine it, wish it, because that's a special day for things to come true. Um, and, um, man, whenever you see beauty, whenever you see order, you know that there was, there was a plan for it. It didn't happen by accident. And this kind of leads me into my first point today. And um, this is a really great point. I think this is going to help a lot of people in their, in their soul, in their thought life. But it is this. It is that your thankfulness directs your imagination. The enemy wants you to become unthankful, ungrateful, because it will affect your soul. Your thankfulness directs your imagination. So let's look at Romans 1, verse 20 and 21. So here in Romans 1, verse 20, it says, For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead. So it's saying since Genesis 1, verse 1, all creation knows that there is a God. Wherever there is beauty, whenever there is order, it points to a creator. Right? There is a lot of beauty in the world. There is a lot of order in the world. Whenever you see beauty, whenever you see order, you know that there is a creator. Beauty and order does not happen from chaos. Actually, the devil is the author of chaos. He wants to destroy things. He wants to take what is beautiful and make it ugly. He wants to take what is pure and taint it. He, he is trying to destroy God's creation. He is trying to destroy the, the, the work, the, the purpose of the Redeemer for creation. That's why this, this kind of um, kingdom of darkness, this antichrist type of spirit, it's really coming against God as a creator. God created them male and female. That's why there's such a huge push in the, in the world today in this kingdom of darkness for, for, for distorting that, that male and female that God created. Whenever you see beauty, whenever you see order, you know that there was a creator. And, and, and the, the best of all creations, it... it it shows you something about that creator. Like when I hear, uh, you know, Mozart's music on the radio, I love classical music. I have a doctorate in classical music on the flute. Whenever I hear, you know, a great Mozart symphony on the radio, I, 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 I can almost picture what Mozart looked like, picture what his personality was like. I can almost picture, because he's such a great artist, he left a huge imprint on his creation, especially his best works. God left, as a creator, he left his best imprint on the crown of his creation, which is you, which is me. When you look in the mirror, you're looking at, at the crown of God's creation. You're not here by accident. You're not here by chaos. God actually knew you before he spoke the universe into existence, and he cares about every detail of your life. All creation knows that there's a creator. Again, whenever you see beauty, whenever you see order, you know that there's a creator there. You know, um, I've been married almost four years. July 6th will be four years for Heather and Aaron Purdue. Praise God. And uh, for our honeymoon, we went to Italy. We went to Rome first. And when we were in Rome, we went to the Vatican and saw the Sistine Chapel. And if, if I had walked into the Sistine Chapel and told the tour guide there, isn't this just amazing that, you know, billions and billions of years ago, there were cans of paint on the ground, and then a bomb went off, and there's this big bang, and all of a sudden, there's just beauty on the ceiling. 
That's so unrational. That's so idiotic. I know that someone created that. Whenever you see beauty, especially like wonderful works of art, wonderful works of beauty, you know that there's a creator. And right at the center of that masterpiece is a picture of creation. It's a picture of God's finger touching Adam's finger, giving him the divine spark of life, that divine spirit that's placed inside of us. Amen? All creation, there's a creator, and it says that they are without excuse because although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God. I love coming to church and worshiping God. Worshiping God, bringing glory to him. Yours is the kingdom. Yours is the power. Yours is the glory forever and ever. Amen. It says they didn't glorify him as God, nor were thankful. Now look at this progression. God really spoke this to me, and this is where this entire uh, message came from. They weren't thankful and became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Because they were unthankful, it affected their soul. It affected their thought life. It affected their imagination. And generally in Scripture, we see whenever you look up the word imagination, it's usually um, talked about in a negative way. It talks about how mankind's imagination became corrupt. And, and it starts with, with this thankfulness. And God spoke to me and he said, if you, if you are thankful, it will direct your imagination. I can actually give you creative thoughts. I can help you solve problems. I can give you new and, in, and, and innovative ideas. But it starts with thankfulness. Your thankfulness directs your imagination. Amen. It directly controls your imagination. I see this so many times in my own life, in my children's life, in people's life. Your thankfulness directly controls your imagination. If you are unthankful, your imagination will not be creative. It'll actually be destructive. And this goes back to the beginning as well. I believe it even goes back to Lucifer. Lucifer was created as an archangel, one of the highest positions in all of heaven. He was in charge of all of worship, just endowed with with great musical abilities, led worship in heaven, and it says that he wanted, he wanted worship for himself. I believe it started with thankfulness. He wasn't thankful for what the Father, what God had given him. He actually became unthankful, and that, that created this spiral for him. And he tries to do that in the hearts of people today. He tries to get people to focus on, on lack, focus on on darkness focused on, even, even tries to distort people's image of God. He tries to distort what God has created, what is beauty, what's holy, what's pure, where there's order. He tries to distort that. And um, if you're unthankful, your imagination, it's going gonna, it's gonna to suffer. And actually, it's going to work in a destructive way. You're going to start imagining problems that aren't really there. If you're unthankful, you're going to imagine problems that aren't really there. And you're actually going to take small things that are very minimal, very minor problems, and, and you're going to make it a huge deal. I've seen believers fall apart over some of the smallest, smallest things. And rather than be thankful for, for what God is doing in their life, in their family's life, in their job, in their community, in their church, they focus on something that's so small, so petty, so foolish. I know it's just the enemy work, wreaking havoc in their soul. And I think you are born again in your spirit, but you need to get born again in your soul. Start being thankful. 
Also, the, this um, unthankfulness will lead to an imagination that actually creates solutions that are extremely destructive. You'll think, man, if I just, I'm unthankful for my wife, I'm unthankful for my kids, I'm going to just start imagining, man, I should just be married to someone else. Man, I'm unthankful for my boss, I'm unthankful for my job, I'm just going to imagine... Something else that maybe you're not called to do. That unthankfulness will lead to an imagination that will create solutions that are extremely destructive. But if you are thankful, your imagination is going to work the way God wants it to. It will be creative. It will be godly. It will be enlightened. The Holy Spirit can speak to you through your imagination. Your imagination is a powerful, powerful force. And God gave it to you for a divine purpose. A divine purpose. I think um, um, the enemy likes to attack creative people, artistic people, in, in, their, in their souls, in their hearts, because he, he knows that if they can use their imagination for God, for his glory, it, it, will, it will wreak havoc to the kingdom of darkness. And this, this actually, um, when I saw this in Romans 1, 20, and 21, it started just as a five-minute devotional for our worship team. Great worship starts with thankfulness. And as I shared it, um, a week or two later, someone on the worship team came back to me and said that, that what you said about being thankful, controlling your imagination, that just set me free. He said, for years, I've really struggled in my thought life, in my imagination, just letting it just spin out of control in a negative way, in a destructive way. But, but when I sensed that happening, I would just speak out loud. I would speak out loud what I am thankful for. And he said, that would just shut that down right away. And, and that, that side of my soul, that imaginative side of my soul would be positive. It'd be godly. It, it, it just changed me direct, dramatically just by being thankful and by speaking it. When you speak, you're thankful. Man, you need, to, you need to articulate your thankfulness to other people as well. You can't just think thankful thoughts and think they're going to just read my mind that I'm thankful you actually have to articulate, and sometimes you have to, to, to take, set an action to it too, right? Do something to, to honor that thankfulness that you feel or that you're stepping out in. When you say things, it's so powerful, and I think you should, should speak. For some of you who need to be just set free in your soul, set free in your thought life, you need to speak out loud what you are thankful for. Maybe write on Facebook what you are thankful for, then rather than what you're complaining about, what you're mad about, what you're... Maybe write about what you're thinking. And I think about 80% of the thoughts that I see expressed on Facebook are negative, even from believers. Even from believers, about, about the church. Man, I'm, I'm so thankful for this church. I'm so thankful for the body of Christ. I'm so thankful that I get to stand up here. I don't deserve this. I don't. This is completely God. And just to live every day, I, I know I should be thankful for every good thing that God has done in my life. And I'm, I'm going to articulate, I'm going to say it out. When you say things out loud, it's extremely powerful. Several years ago, I was, I was home uh, uh, for a break, and I was visiting my best friend at his house. He was home from college on break as well. And I was hanging out at his house, and his older sister, she's the smartest person I've ever met. She's a complete genius. I went to high school with her. After high school, um, she went to Wheaton College. She graduated with her bachelor's in two and a half years, then took the LSATs She's for, to become a lawyer to go to law school. She scored in the top 1% on the LSATs, went to Penn Law and Ivy League uh, Law School on a full scholarship. 
which is extremely, extremely rare to be able to go to law school on a full scholarship. She went to Penn Law out of law school. She got a job offer for one of the top law firms in New York City, and, and um, she had two weeks to prepare for the New York bar, and she was here studying, and I heard her, you know, she was reading through these books that were like this thick, just trying to memorize thousands of pages of law for this, this um, bar exam, and she was saying things out loud as she was studying, and I just asked her, why are you saying things out loud as you study? She said, when you say things out loud, you actually memorize it much quicker. You memorize it twice as fast. Because when you're saying it out loud, you're reading it with your eyes, so you're receiving the information through your optic nerve into your brain. But when you speak it, that information is also going through your auditory nerve into your brain. That's why God didn't just think things into existence. He spoke things into existence. There's something powerful. Your thankfulness should be spoken. And man, when I... I love our worship here because it is very thankful worship. It is very grateful. It, it, it glorifies God. We don't do, do worship that's like, I'm so confused. <laughs> you give and take away. Because that's not really worship. You know, if you're a solo artist and, and you want to express your emotion, that's fine. But as, as a congregation of believers seeking to worship God, glorify God, build each other up in our most holy faith, that's going to affect the words that come out of our mouth, the words that come out collectively as a congregation. And there is nothing more powerful than a group of people singing praise to Jesus, singing worship to his name, being thankful, being grateful, singing in unison with melody attached to it. The enemy hates that. God loves it so much that he actually comes and inhabits our praises. So speak your thankfulness to God. If you're feeling depressed, feeling anxious, feeling, speak your thankfulness to God. Declare his goodness. I could stop right there, but I'm not going to. <laughs> I'm trying to give, give everyone here, because I know this is such an issue with people out there, but even in the body of Christ, how, how, how we can tap into that divine imagination, how we can meet God in our hearts, in our soul, in that creative parts of our being. So number one, thankfulness directs your imagination. Number two, you need to rehearse the victory. Rehearse the victory. Don't rehearse defeat. The devil will constantly remind you of your weakest moments where where you felt defeated, where you felt like you messed up. The devil will try to get you to rehearse that and make you identify with that. Don't rehearse defeat. Rehearse the victory. Let's go to Exodus 17. Exodus 17. This is where God spoke this to me. Rehearse the victory. We'll start in verse 8. This is when the Israelites um, had just crossed the Red Sea. They saw a mighty victory. They crossed, you know, on dry ground through the Red Sea. They saw, you know, the world's largest army at the time, Pharaoh and his army of chariots, horses, just get wiped out in an instant. Very cool. But now they're, they're, they're early on in their wilderness journey, and the Amalekites are coming to fight with them. And this time, guys, so you're going to have to arm yourselves. You're going to have to fight as well. So it says here in Exodus 17, verse 8, Now Amalek came and fought with Israel in Rephidim. And Moses said to Joshua, this is the first time Joshua's name is mentioned in Scripture. 
And there's something very powerful about this um, time that Joshua is first mentioned. Um, Joshua is not, has not been mentioned at this point, but Joshua is here told to, to, to get an army gathered, trained, and go out and fight a battle, to be the commander of this army. Moses said to Joshua, choose us some men, go out and fight with Amalek. Tomorrow I will stand on the top of the hill with the rod of God in my hand. So Joshua did as Moses said to him and fought with Amalek. And Moses, Aaron, and Hur went up to the top of the hill. So it was when Moses held up his hand that Israel prevailed. When he let down his hand, Amalek prevailed. Moses' hand became heavy, so they took a stone and put it under him, and he sat on it. And Aaron and Hur supported his hands, one on one side and the other on the other side. And his hands were steady until the going down of the sun. So Joshua defeated Amalek and his people with the edge of the sword. Then the Lord said to Moses, write this for a memorial in the book. This is why we have the book of Exodus written, because God spoke to Moses and said, write this down for a memorial and recount it in the hearing of Joshua. One translation says you are to rehearse this before Joshua. Rehearse this before Joshua. So he's saying every battle that Joshua will face, every time he's going to you know, be sharpening his sword, getting ready to go out and fight, he is to, to remember this, recount it, in his hearing, tell it to him, but even rehearse it. You know, Joshua, you need to imagine this victory. Imagine what God did. This is the first battle you ever fought. You didn't know what you were doing. That's the first time you swung a sword. That's the first time you tried to recruit an army, tried to train an army. But I came through. You are victorious because I am victorious. I will utterly blot out the remembrance of Amalek from under heaven. And Moses built an altar and called its name. Do not forget this name. The Lord is my banner. Our God, he is Jehovah Nisi, Yahweh Nisi, the Lord, our banner, who is lifted up, the Lord who fights for us, the Lord who is our victory. And you need to rehearse this in your hearts. Rehearse it in your minds. You are victorious. You are my children. You are my sons. You are my daughters. You are not created for defeat. You are not created for death. You are created for life. You are created for victory. If the same spirit that raised Jesus Christ from the dead dwells in you... Should you come to church and sing, I'm so confused? Probably not. Rehearse this. So every battle that Joshua faced, every trial that he faced, every giant that he looked in the eyes, he would, he would do something. He would rehearse the victory. When he, when he went to spy out the promised land, millions of people forgot to rehearse the victory. They forgot to rehearse what God had done, that he helped them pass through the Red Sea, that he helped them fight against Amalek. Joshua remembered because that was a part of who he, he wasn't stuck on negativity. He wasn't stuck on defeat. He wasn't stuck on pessimism. He, he was rehearsing the victory. Rehearse the victory. When I, when I was growing up, I grew up in a town of 300 people, a very precious town, Kit Carson, Colorado. Even smaller than Eads, Colorado. 
These were our rivals. Larry and Carla Gifford here have known me since I was five years old or something, since my hair was shining like the sun, <laughs> piercing the night. And um, when, when, I, when I was in fourth grade, the band director there had me start playing the flute, and it was just like an instant thing. It was, it was a God thing. It was like, I was made to play that flute, but I needed training. I needed to plan. I needed to prepare. So my dad um, got me flute lessons, and, and the, the flute teacher I studied with um, was in Greeley, Colorado. She was a professor at the University of Northern Colorado. So once a month, my dad would drive me three hours one way to go have a two-hour flute lesson. And we'd drive back. And there was no other flute player in Kit Carson, no, you know, it was at the, the edge of, of the flat earth there. <laughs> you could just, just drive to Kit Carson, you'll see the edge of the earth. I'm sorry, I'm sure there, and, and I'm not going to go down that path. <laughs> but she, what she told me to do one month was, when you go back and practice your flute this month, I want you to do something different. I want every, every day that you play the flute, I want you to imagine that you are James Galloway. John, James Galloway um, was and still is the most famous flute player to ever walk the face of the earth. He could take his flute and walk on water with it, in my imagination. So for a month, every time I got my flute together, I'd put it together. I was just, you know, 11, 12 years old. I'd, I'd put it together, and I would imagine that I was the greatest flute player in the world. I didn't really know any of the flute players that have anyone to look up to, but I had CDs. I'd seen videos. I knew this guy was good. So I'm going to be him. And I, I used to practice in the kitchen when my mom was cooking, and I liked, you know, there was a nice echo. I liked the acoustics of the kitchen. So uh, actually, all, all throughout my the childhood and, and youth period, I'd always practice in the kitchen for that effect. You know, with that echo, it kind of, it's a little forgiving to some of your mistakes. It kind of echoes out your mistakes. So if I, I was practicing in the kitchen. I realized if I'm James Galloway, I need, I need somewhere bigger to play. So that's my dad if I could go to church with him and practice in the sanctuary. That was the, the biggest place I could play. And then, and then um, in middle school, I asked the, the teachers, you know, I had a free period. Rather than study in the library, can I go to the gym and play in the gym? kept getting bigger and bigger. And I was imagining that I was playing not just in front of 20 people or I was playing in front of thousands of people. And when I came back after imagining that I was James Galloway, that was the best I'd ever played for my teacher. She said, Aaron, this is the, the most improvement I've, I've ever seen in any student that I've had. It's because I was, I was rehearsing victory. I was rehearsing greatness. I was imagining it. And my mom asked me to share this testimony. It's, it's, a, it's a powerful testimony. Um, when I lived in Houston, when I got my master's and doctorate there at Rice University, I went to, to um, Joel Osteen's church, to Lakewood Church. And um, it's, I think it's been almost 50 years ago, but his mother, Dodie Osteen, was sent home to die with cancer. The doctor said, we can't do anything else for you. Go home with your husband, with your kids. She was sent home to die. But her, her husband, John Osteen, um, took pictures of her in the prime of her life. And, and there's a certain picture that really resonated with Dodie. It's a picture of her wearing a pink cowboy hat riding on a horse. And she looked at that, and she wasn't, she wasn't rehearsing her death, wasn't rehearsing her, her pain, her sickness. She was rehearsing victory. And, and she's still alive to this day. She's still serving, still on staff there. When I was there, you know, several years ago in Houston, she was once a month holding healing nights, at the church on Tuesday nights, praying for the sick, and um, just, just powerful. She was rehearsing the victory. And God, God spoke to me one time when I was out in my garden, just escaping for a minute, 
I don't, I don't need to escape that much. I'm, I'm like mega blessed. I love, actually Heather thinks I love being around her too much. She wants me to escape a little more. She's like, why don't you go outside? Why don't you go shopping? Why don't you? I'm just so in love with her. I just, just glued to her. But one time I was out, out um, you know, watering the flowers in my garden, and God spoke to me, and he said, Aaron, if you want to, to raise someone from the dead, you're going to have to first imagine it. And God said, if you've never imagined it, you're not going to see it. So, so um, right around the same time that God spoke that to me, someone here at this church actually passed away right between church. Herb Carter here on the front row. Um, how rude of him. You know, right between church, just <laughs> gave up the ghost. He was, you know, in, in a prayer meeting with our, our, our prayer leaders, and uh, they, were, they were back in the youth room praying before second service, and um, he passed away. Um, there are a couple of nurses there who took, took his pulse. It wasn't there. Um, they said that his skin had turned gray. His eyes rolled back, and Miss um, Cam came and got my dad and said, Pastor, you need to pray for Herb Carter, and, and, and he's like, well, I'm talking to someone. She said, no, come right now. She just grabbed him. My dad went back there, and, and um, he... he um, he said, I, I laid my hands on Herb, on his heart, and I commanded life to come into it. I think he just sensed that it was his heart that had failed. He prayed, you know, spoke life into his heart, commanded to start beating. And he said, Herb, Herb came back to life. His eyes came back. His, his skin started turning pink again. And, um, and, and um, you know, Larry here took him to the hospital. They, they checked his heart out. They kept him overnight. They couldn't find anything wrong with his heart. They monitored his heart for several weeks. Couldn't find anything wrong with it. And he's still here to this day. But God, God said, Aaron, you need, to, you need to rehearse the victory. You need, if you're going to see someone raised from the dead, if you're going to pray for someone and see them raised from the dead, you've got to start imagining it. You've got to start dreaming about it. So what I would do, I would imagine that Herb Carter dropped dead, and I just walked up to him and punched him right in the heart. <laughs> so all of you have my permission to just imagine that you're just going to punch Herb right in the heart. And... But this is the thing about, about rehearsing the victory, about testimonies. Maybe you feel like you're defeated. Maybe you feel like you're really stuck. Maybe you, but you can rehearse someone else's victory. If they receive that miracle, if they receive that blessing, if they receive that breakthrough, that can be yours as well. If that woman with the issue of blood for 12 years touched the hem of Jesus' garment and received healing, power flow through her body, then you can imagine that as well. Right now, you can imagine that Jesus is here in this room, and then you can reach out and touch the hem of his garment. You can reach out and touch his presence and feel his power come into your body and heal you even in this moment. Rehearse the victory. So number one, the divine imagination. Thankfulness controls your imagination. Number two, rehearse the victory. And number three, be like those who dream. Be like those who dream. My dad is a dreamer. And when we bought this place, he was ready to rock and roll. He believes that God is going to grow this church. I believe that God is going to grow this church in a bit. I love this church. This is, this is a God kind of church right here. When we, when we moved into, I thought, man, this better be God or we're going to be in trouble. This is a lot bigger than our old place. You know, this is just a warehouse right here. He got a desk out here, and he told me to stand up, stand right here. This is where the pulpit's going to be. I looked out and just saw how big this place was, and it was hard for me to even imagine preaching in a place this big. But here I am today. Be like those who dream. Man, we shouldn't, we shouldn't lose our sense of creativity. You know, um, when I was in Houston, at one point I was teaching 40 students flute lessons every week. I had 40 students, and they, they kind of um, ranged in age from 8 
That little eight-year-old was just way too young. And up to 88, I had a retired sociology professor that I taught flute lessons to. And I kind of noticed the vast majority of my students were middle school and high school students, but I noticed something really interesting. Between sixth grade, when they started middle school, and by eighth grade, there was a, a huge decline in creativity. It's like in sixth grade, at age 11, they, they, they could think, they could, they could, they could have create, creative ideas, they could, I could ask them simple questions, like if you were to hear this song and, and you went to the movie theater, what, what would be happening in the movie? And they could come up with all these you know, wild things happening in the movie, but by the time they were in eighth grade, they, they couldn't even, just couldn't imagine. And it's, it's very, very sad, very pitiful, and um, there's actually a lot of things in the world that I think are destroying people's creativity. Destroying kids' creativity, destroying their thankfulness, leading to dark, foolish thoughts, denying our creator. You know, my, my youngest brother, Peter, was here last weekend. He just got promoted to be the COO of Burger King. He's like the number two guy of, of all of Burger King. And his wife, um, she's a very, very accomplished, very smart person as well. But, but um, we were kind of talking about Peter, and, and she just said he's able to see problems and just find creative solutions to, to fixing things. And um, they, they went to Singapore um, right before COVID had started. He, was, he used to be over all the Burger King of Southeast Asia. And when um, COVID happened, you know, all those restaurants in Asia were shut down. It was very detrimental here in the U.S., but especially in Asia. And um, his company um, did a complete freeze. No one's, no one's going to get promoted. No one's going to get, you know, raises. Like, this is dire straits type of situation. But while he was in Singapore, he actually got a prom double promotion. He ended up being over all of Asia. He was over all of India, over all of China, and then was eventually able to make his way back to the States. But, but um, I believe that God has given him that ability to imagine creative solutions where other people can't see them. We need to be like those who dream, amen? Let's look at, look at Psalm 126. It says, when the Lord brought back the captivity of Zion, we were like those who dream. I love that. Part, part of our redemption, part of what God has done for us in our spirit, in our soul, and in our body, it's to cause us to be like those who dream. Our mouth was filled with laughter. Dreamers act a little bit different than people who don't dream. They see things that other people can't see. Our mouth was filled with laughter, our tongue with singing. Then they said among the nations, I love this, that, that when God sparks your soul with that divine imagination, it, it's going gonna, it's gonna to lead to great blessing, great, tremendous things in your life. So, so much so that even the heathen, even non-believers are going to see there's something different about them. There's something different about him. I want, I want to promote him. Actually, Peter, when he started working for Burger King Corporate 10 years ago, right out of college, his bosses realized something was different about him. He worked, he worked super hard. He worked all the time. And they said, Peter, whatever you do, keep going to church on Sundays. This is non-believers in the corporate world. Said, so Peter, whatever you do, keep going to church. We know you work hard, but keep going to church. Because we know this, this is... Make something different about you. It says, the nation said, the Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done, and then we like realize, oh yeah, the Lord has done great things for us, and we are glad. I remember uh, uh, 
about a year ago, a friend of mine from, from school um, um, just kind of reached out to me on Facebook. He's not a believer. I believe that God's going to, um, I pray for him. I believe he's going to experience salvation. I know that like good seed has been sown in his life from me and from other believers, but he's not a believer. But he, he reached out to me and said, Aaron, it looks like you're, li- you're living your best life. Even non-believers should say the Lord has done great things for them. Bring back our captivity, O Lord, as the streams in the south. Those who sow in tears shall reap in joy. I love that. We are in in a world that has been affected by by the enemy. You know, he's brought darkness. He's brought hurt. He's brought hardship into this world. So we will go through periods where there are tears, but we will reap in joy. He who called... And, and God, if you're going through a hard time right now, I'm not saying God doesn't care. God does care. He cares tremendously about your soul. The Bible says that he is near the brokenhearted. You know, God cares so much about you, but there is hope for you. With Jesus, there is always hope. You're going to reap in joy. He who continually goes forth weeping, bearing seed for sowing, shall doubtless come again with rejoicing, bringing his sheaves with him. We are in the time for the great end time harvest. We're going we're gonna to see a lot of great reaping going on, a lot of great rejoicing, a lot of great Laughter going on. Man, we, we, are in the, we get to live on the greatest time of the face of the earth. This is my last scripture for you. It's from Joel 2, verse 28 and 29. It says, It shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams. You shouldn't stop dreaming after age 11. You shouldn't stop dreaming after age 20. You shouldn't stop dreaming after age 80. You should always be tapping into the divine imagination, asking God for for fresh ideas, fresh dreams, fresh revelation, fresh purpose, fresh things to set your faith toward. Your faith should never be put in neutral. God, give me a dream. Give me something to believe for. Give me purpose. You should always be dreaming, always be imagining. I'm walking into Walmart, shopping for groceries. God, I'm just imagining who I can pray for, who I can lead to Jesus, who I can see set free today. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men shall see visions. And also on my men servants and on my maid servants, I will pour out my spirit in those days. God's spirit is affecting me. Spirit, soul, and body. It is even affecting my imagination. Amen. So in conclusion, say this after me. Say, I am a spirit. I I possess a soul. soul. My soul does not possess me. me. I live in a body. I I choose choose to always always be thankful. thankful. I am victorious. victorious. So victorious that I can't help but to thank but to imagine, but to dream, and to rehearse. Victory. I'm not a victim. I'm a victor. The Lord has done great things, great things for me. And I am glad. Amen. Awesome.
Thank you for listening to the Caris Christian Center podcast. If you would like to receive prayer, product, or more information about the ministry, go to www.karischristiancenter.com or call us at 719-418-4000.